0: I'm really excited about virtual events because I think they make our communities more inclusive. You know, especially as our community grows, you want to help everyone, but you literally can't. So how do you kind of focus your efforts on what's going to help the most amount of people? You know, when I started the team two years ago, developer experience was very undefined. And it is so different at every company, right? There's like no roadmap for building a developer experience team. Everyone kind of does it a little bit differently.
1: Hello, and welcome to Developer Love, the podcast for people who build developer communities. We'll hear from people working to win the hearts and minds of developers, including founders, execs, and the top minds in developer relations, dev marketing, and community management. I'm Patrick Woods, the CEO of Orbit, the community experience platform. Developer Love is brought to you by Heavybit, an accelerator and venture fund dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. Today I'm speaking with Peggy Razus who leads the developer experience team at Apollo. Well, welcome to the show Peggy. Thank you so much for coming on today.
0: Thanks so much Patrick. I'm excited to be here.
1: Yeah, so let's let's dive right in. Could you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're working on?
0: Sure. So my name is Peggy Razus and I lead the developer experience team at Apollo. So at Apollo, we build a platform for helping developers build great apps. You may be familiar with some of our popular GraphQL open source libraries like Apollo Client and Apollo Server. And on the developer experience team, we are a, uh, a mixed bunch of people kind of attacking our mission to inspire and equip developers to be successful with Apollo all from a different angle. So uh, we have developer advocates on the team. Uh, we are responsible for the documentation. We organize events, and we're also kind of be focusing on education as well in the later half of the year.
1: Awesome. How did you get into the world of, of developer experience in the first place?
0: Yeah, so uh, I feel like this is a pretty common story for a lot of people, but I used to be on the open source team at Apollo as an engineer. And Apollo was kind of just uh, starting up at that point. We weren't nearly as popular as we are today, and so a lot of us were were creating content. And I kind of just... Started enjoying the process of teaching developers and creating this content more than the coding aspect. So, my role kind of morphed into this hybrid role. I was doing like half engineering and half developer advocacy work. And then eventually, kind of decided I loved the developer advocacy work so much that I started to to manage this team now at Apollo. This is about like two years ago.
1: (laughs) Cool. What was it like transitioning from sort of an engineering role to more of a experience or developer experience and education advocacy role?
0: Yeah, I mean it was pretty seamless, like you know I actually like come from a untraditional background, so I have a degree in history. I actually sometimes feel more comfortable with words than I do with code, um, but I think really my passion is helping developers, and I think I realized that I could do that so much more through. You know, writing content and developer advocacy work rather than coding, and so that's kind of how that transition played out. And obviously, uh, you know, when I started the team two years ago, developer experience was very undefined at Apollo. You know, and it is so different at at every company, right? There's like no roadmap for building a developer experience team. Everyone kind of does it a little bit differently. So it's been really fulfilling and really cool to build this team from the ground up and and really think critically about, okay, like how are we gonna achieve this together? How are we gonna inspire and equip millions of developers to be successful? What are the ingredients for that? And that's kind of how we, you know, work together to hire our first people and and build out that team.
1: Yeah, what a what a fascinating (laughs) origin story there for the team. What would you say is the secret to building things developers love?
0: I think first and foremost, you have to come from a place of empathy. I think, you know, one of the reasons I think I've been able to be, you know, successful at Apollo is because before I started working there, I was actually an engineer at Major League Soccer and I was using Apollo tools. And so I had kind of felt that, that pain that developers feel when they have, you know, a bunch of different REST APIs and they're trying to, you know, build like a, a backend for front end and aggregate all this data into some sort of object that can then be consumed by the front end. And so, you know, we had kind of experienced that pain. We then, you know, migrated from REST to GraphQL. And so, seeing that whole process through and seeing kind of the transformation and just increase our team had in productivity when we started adopting Apollo tools and GraphQL was really powerful. And I think that's something that I've carried with me through now to joining the Apollo team and and building that team. I still kind of really remember how it felt to be an engineer and walk a mile um, in their shoes, like implementing this stuff. So I think coming at it from a place of empathy is really important to understanding what pain points our developers have and how to solve them. And I also think you have to be open to to really listening to them and, and making them feel heard. And I think Empathy and listening are, are the two ingredients to to building something developers love and are passionate about.
1: Yeah, empathy has has come up a number of times in our conversations, both with Apollo people, but with people in the podcast as well. I'm interested in your perspective on you know empathy as it relates to to scaling, if that's possible. Meaning, you know, one on one, I it's very clear how to be empathetic with another individual. You know, how do you, as a leader of a team, ensure that your your team is showing empathy and that a company or a brand shows empathy with with the whole community. How does how does that work?
0: Yeah, so I think obviously, you know, one-to-one interactions don't scale all the time. So we as a team really kind of comb through our different channels, whether that's GitHub issues or Spectrum or social media, and we we find out okay what are the common themes here? What are the the common pain points developers are running into? And then we you know prioritize that content. And so you know uh, we we find that developers are, are having a lot of trouble with caching. Okay, so then maybe we plan like a blog post series on caching, and we'll have a whole stream episode dedicated to caching. And so I think it's about looking at all your channels, figuring out, okay, what are people running into the most like what pain points and then kind of solving those i think also too as developer advocates it's building apps with the product yourself and running into those issues and testing you know new features and libraries before they hit the public and experiencing those things yourself so yeah i think you know even though we might not be able to have one to one interactions all the time i think you start to see common themes that pop up and prioritizing those, uh, and also delivering that feedback to the product teams as well. Sometimes, you know, we are kind of the eyes and ears of the community, and and we represent the community to our company. So it is our responsibility to take that feedback back to the product teams so they can address it, as well as you know us creating content, of course, to to solve those too.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. So you mentioned collaborating with the product team, as the eyes and ears of the company out on the front lines with the developers. What are some tools or tricks that you found effective in terms of communicating back to the product team effectively and clearly?
0: Yeah, I'll give you uh, an example from open source most recently with the Apollo Client 3 beta. So You know, Apollo Client 3 is something that our open source engineers have been working on for a while now. And I think the big challenge there was re architecting the cache. And um, the open source engineers on that project, Ben and Hugh and Jen, have done a phenomenal job kind of rethinking what that looks like. And from that came kind of new APIs to, to interact with the Apollo cache, one of them being cache. Modify was the name of the API. And so Khalil, the developer advocate of my team, he started creating a talk about Apollo Client to give at one of our events. And as he was going through it and thinking about, okay, what are the practical use cases that someone might encounter when they're interacting with the Apollo cache? Maybe like pagination is one, or you know, you send a, a mutation, the server sends a mutation. Okay, now how do we update the cache on the front end to reflect that? And so as he was kind of going through and seeing Okay, what are the practical recommendations? We found that like we didn't really have a, a clear answer and there were kind of these, this cash dot modify thing was only for like advanced power users, but then we heard feedback from the field that people were using it for everything and there was kind of this question about like how we teach it. So I think like, Khalil's exploration and how he used his talk as a way to kind of flesh out these practical examples and what are our concrete recommendations? You know, and the client team realized that the API was a bit too complex. And so through his feedback and his exploration and really going through okay how are we going to teach this to developers how are we going to make this practical that's kind of where that feedback cycle came from so i think a lot through teaching figuring out how to okay explain this in like practical terms to someone is really where a lot of this this feedback comes through and then you know you then have the cycle we work very closely with the open source team as well as the product engineering teams to kind of close that feedback loop and and get that implemented
1: yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So your team is involved in a lot of things: uh, streaming content, working with the product team. You know, you as the team team lead, how do you how do you know what you're doing is working? How do you measure success?
0: Yeah, it's not perfect. I think uh, measuring success in developer advocacy is a difficult thing, and that's why I'm so thrilled y'all are building <laughs> orbit. Um, <laughs> obviously, like. On the qualitative side, we can look, you know, at impressions, but that's sometimes, you know, imperfect. Like a view on a stream is different than a retweet is different than. Yeah, it's hard to kind of compare apples and oranges, but we do look at it, obviously. You know, we look at download counts, okay, like, you know, if we're creating content about this thing, are the the download numbers going up? But even that's kind of imperfect, especially if you're using NPM downloads. I think qualitatively, we really love to just hear feedback from people that a blog post or a piece of content that we wrote really helped someone. Sometimes that's like the most meaningful thing. If we, you know, are combing through the issues and we find that we're not getting issues about this thing that we always used to get issues about, (laughs) I think that's also kind of, you know, a metric of success as well. So none of these things are perfect, but we do track them, and that kind of gives us a less blurry picture of how we're doing and whether the the things that we're doing are actually helping developers or not. Because at the end of the day, that's kind of what we're aiming to do.
1: Yeah, we've seen and experienced this sort of blend of data and story to make the case for why what we're doing is working. So what would you say is the one tool that you can't live without?
0: The one tool I can't live without, this maybe isn't like super developer advocacy focused, but I am a big fan of Franz. I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly, but as a DevRel person, you're constantly context switching all day, right? Like you're in your Twitter DMs and then you are on Spectrum and you're in your GitHub issues and then you're on like many, many different Slack channels and it's very difficult to keep track of everything. And so Franz kind of aggregates all of those different like messaging platforms into one tool. And it is the only way that I am able to stay sane throughout the day, jumping between all of these things. So I. <laughs> Highly recommend that you try it if you're having a difficult time staying on top of everything because it's nice to just have everything in one app and be able to easily switch between all the different platforms you're on.
1: Can you spell that for the audience?
0: F-R-A-N-Z. Got it. And it's free too, which is great. They have a paid version, but I use the free version. (laughs) I should probably (laughs) pay them for how much value I get out of it.
1: Uh, We will link that in the show notes. That's really cool. All right, so you've sort of started this team from zero to one over the past couple of years. You know, you've hired some really great people, and you've transitioned yourself from a, a developer into a, a leadership management role. What would you say have been your biggest learnings transitioning into that into that capacity uh, at Apollo?
0: I think my biggest learnings have been. To really think about, okay, like, what are your goals? What are you trying to achieve? And then kind of work backward from there. I think, at least from my perspective, you know, Apollo is still a very small startup. So it's taken me kind of two years to get to where we are now. And it's been a very kind of incremental process. So I think... You know, if you are kind of starting from from zero and then building the team from the ground up, you really have to think about, okay, what is going to make the most difference? You know, maybe it's investing in your documentation first and hiring, like, a documentation expert. That's really important. Maybe, you know, uh, a developer advocate And kind of getting the word out there about your product and and building example apps and tutorials is what you need. So you go in that direction. I think, you know, you have to first start with your goals and, and then work backward from that. I think the other thing too that's important is. I really enjoy kind of hiring people based on potential. I think a lot of people who are really successful developer advocates may have not been career developer advocates. They may have been engineers who realized along the way that they were really passionate about the communication side of things and teaching others Khalil on my team is is one of those people, right? This is his first developer advocate role, but he is so awesome at it. And you know, had his personal blog before, which is kind of how I found him and saw how incredible his writing was. And that's you know kind of how he he transitioned there. But I think you know, especially with developer advocacy roles, it's important to kind of find those people who really love the communication side of things and, and take a chance on them, even if they may have not been like a career developer advocate before.
1: Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I mean, the space is growing. Uh, hopefully it'll continue to grow, so I think that type of advice is going to be super relevant for people. What are you excited about right now?
0: What am I excited about? I think what I am super excited about It's kind of like a bittersweet thing is uh, the whole pivot to virtual events. Hmm. Obviously, you know, COVID happened and developer advocacy, uh, which previously had been really kind of centered around these like in person conference experiences and workshop experiences, suddenly got flipped on its head. And we all had to kind of figure out how to adjust to this new world. And virtual events, I think, were something that we had. Wanted to try for a while, even even before the pandemic happened. But this was kind of the kick that we needed to to take a risk and try it. And I've just been so impressed by the team and how they've been able to think creatively about this. And you know, thinking about how events are different now when you maybe don't have the same constraints as before with time and and space um, and reimagining what those look like. So. That is probably what I am most excited about. And it's also something I'm kind of in the middle of right now. Um, Apollo, we host a GraphQL summit, which is the largest developer conference dedicated to GraphQL. Previously, that used to be an in person event in San Francisco, over a thousand developers. This year, it's completely online. We're targeting 5,000 developers. And suddenly, now we've been able to reach so many more people from around the world. I think we were running the numbers today, and it used to be 92% of the people who attended GraphQL Summit were from the US. Now that it's moved to virtual, that number is now 52%. So Whoa. we're reaching so many more developers around the world than we could have ever thought possible. And I think I'm super excited about that to, to welcome these developers from around the world into our community and just really think about you know what events look like in this new world.
1: Yeah, that's incredible. What does that mean for your community that so many more people from around the world are going to be able to participate?
0: I'm super excited about it, to be honest in person events i kind of have this conflict moral conflict with because especially before you know we hosted in san francisco is obviously a very expensive city the ticket price is $1000 because it's very expensive to kind of feed over 1000 developers in this san francisco hotel and so there was a huge kind of financial cost to meeting our our developers at this event and that didn't quite like sit right with me. I think now that we have this virtual event, it's free to attend. Anyone can attend from anywhere and I am just so excited about like what doors that opens and now we can meet people from different countries that we wouldn't normally get to to meet Otherwise, we can welcome people who may not be wor- working at companies that can support you know, the financial costs, welcome more students into our community, include more people from different racial backgrounds and socioeconomic backgrounds. I'm really excited about virtual events because I think they make our communities more inclusive. And I am just over the moon excited to meet all these developers that we wouldn't normally have gotten to meet at an in-person event
1: yeah you mentioned uh, a moment ago that the switch to virtual gives companies and and communities a chance to reimagine what their events look like. What are some ways that Apollo has been reimagining the event?
0: Yeah, so one of the things that I am kind of, uh, I don't know, passionate is the right word, but I think like the conference talk in and of itself is something that we're trying to reimagine and push the boundaries of. Obviously, with an in-person event, you have a person standing on stage, they're doing some slides, maybe some live coding. But with a virtual event, you can kind of really like flip that on its head. So um, for GraphQL Summit this year, we are pre-recording all of our talks. We are really focusing on the production quality because now that it's not in person, we can make it feel more like TV or like a movie. And so we're hiring like animators to do like cool bits in between the talks, uh, spotlighting different community members and why they're passionate about the GraphQL community. We can add like fun visual effects. You know it doesn't have to be like the same old, formula that it used to be. (laughs) And I'm so excited about that to see how creative People can get, and um, I think we'll start to kind of see more reimagining of what a conference talk looks like. I think I saw on Twitter or something, someone had a conference talk that they did in like Animal Crossing, and they like in Animal Crossing like rebuilt like uh, like uh, their company's like breakout room or whatever. And so they hosted their tech talk from Animal Crossing, which is so cool. Like that's something that you normally would never get to see at an in-person event. So I think it's just break the formula, really getting creative, and I'm just super excited to kind of see what the next year or so brings with that.
1: Yeah, that's wonderful. You know, you shared a bunch of amazing vignettes today, uh, but I wonder, you know, aside from all the the highs from having an amazing leadership team at Apollo, what what have been some of your biggest challenges as a developer advocate?
0: Biggest challenges? Well, I think the measurement thing that we talked about before, that's definitely a challenge, just because I don't think there's a, a playbook on on how to do it exactly right. You know, and that's why I'm so excited about Orbit, is it kind of gives us this framework and a structure for thinking about these things. So that has definitely been a challenge. I think the other thing that's maybe uh, you know people at a startup can relate to is there are so many things that we could be doing and. It's hard to kind of focus on what's going to have the the most impact because you know, especially as our community grows, you want to help everyone but you literally can't. So how do you kind of focus your efforts on what's going to help the most amount of people and balancing that I think is really tough working at a startup because there are so many different things that you could be doing. How do you kind of focus and hone in on the ones that are going to have the most positive impact for your community?
1: Hmm. What would you say has been your proudest moment as a developer advocate?
0: So right before the pandemic, we had everyone in town week. And so um, Paula does this several times a year. We fly everyone into San Francisco because typically we're a distributed team and we get to collaborate in person. And we were just doing this like roadmap planning exercise, and we had like post-its and a whiteboard. And this is really exciting for a distributed team because we never get to like do this kind of thing in person. And so everyone is like super pumped. They're, you know, writing their ideas. You know, developer advocates are giving ideas about events, and the events lead is giving ideas about the documentation side of things. And everyone's kind of like cross-collaborating and brainstorming these ideas together. And I think It was just this really proud moment for me because I realized that I had built something bigger than, you know, anything that I could do myself. And the things that we can accomplish together are so much greater than anything that one of us could accomplish individually. And so I think that was just a really cool, surreal moment is to just see around the room, like, the awesome team that we had built together and all the cool ideas that were flowing and how we all, even though we all kind of have a different specialty, how we work together and lift each other up
1: to accomplish our goals. Mm, That sounds really special. So one thing I ask everyone, uh, this is a podcast called Developer Love. So I'm I'm wondering, what's one thing that you're loving right now?
0: I've been really loving the nice weather (laughs) in New York City and being able to get outside, I think after being cooped up for so long. Just being outside and in the park, I try to, um, my fiance and I, we have a tandem bike. And so uh, when I'm like done signing off for the day, we take the tandem bike out and we ride to the park and I sit in the sunshine and that has kind of just really centered me through some some dark times. Mm. So I would say the the summer sunshine is something <laughs> that I've been loving right now.
1: Yeah, we live on a park as well and it's been a, a real godsend in the context of quarantine. But you know, I've, I've always wondered... How does one decide to buy a tandem bike?
0: So this is going to be really embarrassing because I'm admitting this to all the podcast followers, but we're just going to go with it. <laughs> so I never really like learned how to ride a bike as a kid. Like my dad had like taught me one time, but we lived on this big hill, and I I must have been like six years old, and I have this like vivid memory of like. Sp- beating down the hill, like full speed, like flying off the bike and like scraping my knee and crying. And we just didn't try after that. And like, it was also like uh razor scooters were kind of popular at the time. So I had one of those and like, that was kind of my, my mode of transportation. But then obviously relying on that through childhood, you get to like adulthood and you still don't know how to ride a bike. And it's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> and so I've had some friends that have like taught me and I'm like, okay now but definitely not good enough to like ride in a city so we went to Amsterdam about six or seven years ago where we tried it there for the first time and fell in love with it and as soon as we came home we knew we had to buy a tandem bike so it's bright blue we get a lot of compliments on it it's kind of uh, flashy but um, I really enjoy it because I get all the thrills of riding a bike without worrying that like I'm not going to be able to stop or a car is going to crash into me or something.
1: You know, it's very consistent with with what you've told us today about you know empathy and listening and teamwork and collaboration. <laughs> you know, the tandem bike <laughs> really is the embodiment of all of these values. Yeah. <laughs> so, Peggy, one of my favorite questions on the show is: what's your most controversial DevRel hot take?
0: Okay. I'm gonna say this one. It shouldn't be controversial, but it is, and I think I'm gonna get some hate mail because of it. But my controversial DevRel hot take is that. DevRel is complicit in upholding white supremacy in tech. And I'm going to unpack that for you. Um, so All right. I think as developer advocates, we have a responsibility, and I, I think I said this before, to like represent our company to our community and our community to our company. And too often, I see DevRel teams that are made up entirely of white men and white women. And this is really problematic because I think with Endeavoral and with an open source, there's a lot of hero worship, right? Like we tend to idolize the people who are on stage at conferences and popular on social media. And, you know, people don't want to participate in a community that they don't feel welcome in. And when all we see are white men and white women on stage, you know, Black engineers are not going to feel welcome and excited to join our communities. So what do we do to fix this? Uh, I think... We really need to amplify the voices of Black engineers and developer advocates. We need to retweet their work. We need to give them a platform by inviting them to share their technical work at our conferences. We need to nominate them to our project's technical steering committees. We need to hire them. We need to promote them. We need to give them leadership opportunities. And I think so often I hear from people that like, well, where are they? Like this is like a pipeline thing, and it's not. Like there are so many incredible Black engineers and developer advocates who are doing amazing work. I'm just going to name a couple of my favorites. Uh, Christian Nuamba, he's a leader in the GraphQL and serverless communities, doing excellent work at Microsoft. Obviously, uh, we talked about Brian Douglas before. He's helped you know thousands of developers through his work at at GitHub. You have Aisha Blake, who's an engineer at Gatsby, she publishes excellent content uh, on the Jamstack. You have Taylor Alexis, she's doing really interesting things streaming on Twitch. And you have Paris Athena, she has this awesome platform uh, and newsletter, Black Tech Pipeline. It's a resource for hiring black engineers. So. They're out there. We just need to find them and we need to amplify their voices and we need to hire them to our teams and we need to lift them up. And I think together, as DevRel professionals, we need to first admit there is a problem and admit that you know we are pro- part of the problem. And I think once we do that, we can start to make real progress towards fixing it and uh, dismantling white supremacy in our communities.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that informed perspective. I've appreciated you and your team's leadership on these questions and uh, the specific steps you've listed today. I think people can apply and start to run with. It's it's not rocket science. So thank you for sharing that.
0: Yeah, yeah, of course. And I mean, like the Apollo community isn't perfect, right? But I think we just, we first need to acknowledge this and acknowledge that it is real. And by doing that, now we're able to kind of take steps and, and work towards fixing it. So yeah. Thanks for letting me share that because I think you know, it, it really needs to be said.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure that it's controversial, at least I hope it's not, uh, but it's very important. So thanks for sharing that. Well, Peggy, you and your team have been really amazing early adopters of Orbit. You've given us tons of great feedback, and you know, a lot of where we are today is as a result of the input you've given us. Uh, I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you're using the tool and what your thoughts are in general.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we are super excited about Orbit and we've already kind of started using it and getting great value from it. Right now, obviously, uh, with the GitHub integration, we have a lot of repositories on GitHub. And so um, between all our different Products, whether it's Apollo Server or Apollo Client, Apollo iOS, Apollo Android, just getting to see all that data aggregated into one has been really helpful uh, for us as we start to kind of identify our champions and our uh, overall community's growth. So that's been really awesome. I'm super excited about the tagging feature because, as a conference organizer, always trying to make speaker lists and figure out, okay, uh, who do we know that's speaking about this topic? The tagging feature has definitely saved us there as we start to plan these virtual events. So, I really enjoyed that. And also, our open source teams have found tremendous value from it as well, just being able to kind of see. All of that GitHub data in one place and see, okay, uh, you know what's going on. Like identifying which people have high reach in the community and being able to engage them. So we're super excited about it. I can't wait for the Twitter integration to come out. That's going to be awesome, and we've uh, yeah enjoyed it so far.
1: Cool, Peggy. Thanks so much for coming on today. I've learned a ton. Uh, I appreciate your perspective on everything from DevRel's role and white supremacy and racism to the importance of empathy and listening and building communities. So again, thanks so much for coming on Developer Love. It's been a real a real pleasure.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me, Patrick. It's been so much fun.
1: And if anybody wants to learn more about you, uh, where would they find you online?
0: Twitter is the, the best place to find me. I'm at Peggy Razus on Twitter.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks again. Thanks for listening to Developer Love. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider giving us a five star rating on iTunes and tell a friend. You can learn more about Orbit at orbit.love slash podcast and follow us on Twitter at OrbitModel.